And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man when it comes to robmccallumfilms.com. Is my good friend. It is Mr. Rob McCallum. Pray tell, Rob, what's going on in your world when it comes to pop culture? Well, there's been a lot of buzz about Slender Man. Of course, it now is uh, hitting the big screens and disappointing a lot of people. And while it's not too far from the, the run of things to see footage in a trailer that doesn't appear in the final film, there's a little bit of a fan outcry going on right now with the amount of stuff that has been removed. According to a Slash Film article, there was a number of key scenes that were taken out at the last minute by Sony execs who got really scared. And this goes back to some real-life events that happened surrounding Slenderman. 2014, two 12-year-olds brutally stabbed one of their schoolmates 19 times in an effort to sacrifice her to Slenderman. The victim miraculously survived the attack. I don't know what this is about the proficiency of 12-year-olds and knives. And the two young attackers ended up on trial. They got off uh, not guilty by mental disease or defect. People connected to these specific events said, you know, it's absurd that they want to make a movie like this. It's popularizing a tragedy is what it's doing. I'm not surprised, but in my opinion, it's extremely distasteful. All we're doing is extending the pain that all three of these families have gone through. So I bring this up because, one, not that I care that things were deleted from the film for whatever reason, but at what point do we have to make the call to pull something back because of real-life events maybe dictate better taste or should we censor it you know this is art and censorship and the real world uh, effect of such things what are your thoughts on that well i spoke to jason todd feinberg from honey queen last week about slender man and this whole issue as the movie was coming out and understanding or trying to understand the actual mindset of the sony execs for actually bringing this out when they did because obviously the movie Maybe it's because of the controversy. Maybe it's because people just didn't care. It just did not have the bang from the get-go that normally horror movies do because horror movies are predicated on a first two-week opening. They have to hit out strong in the first two weeks or they're really going to end up being a bust. I would not have brought out the movie at this point in time or even thought about putting it in the, in the production stage because there's just a lot of bad... I guess, mojo when it comes to the Slender Man. And I'm not sure the urban myth or legend is popular enough or endearing enough to people out there to support actually a hit movie. And so I actually just, as a whole, just questioned the decision-making of Sony to even release the film in the first place. Well, it's interesting because there was an ongoing battle behind the scenes between the producers and Sony themselves. They wanted it to be on more screens. And they even thought about pulling it from their Sony deal and shopping it around to other studios to get a wider release. Sony saw this as a very indie, uh, like Bloomhouse kind of release. And these guys saw it as something more with, with bigger legs. And it almost kind of killed the deal because of the two different sides. And now Sony, of course, because they own the work, you know, made all these decisions at the last minute. And I'm sure the producers and filmmakers are going to say, well, hadn't you cut all this stuff, yada, 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 which might just be a tactic to further exploit, you know, digital home sales down the road, the uncut, version that you was too horrific for theaters or whatever it is i don't know that i buy into the urban legend or, or the myth i think it is a thing whether it's strong enough to support an entire film at this point as a whole other question what are your thoughts on the censorship though 
I remember the, another film that had to grapple with this was Monsters Incorporated. In 2001, it came out about a month and a bit after September 9-11 happened. And they had a building explode, Harryhausen's restaurant, and they changed it so that there was a plastic plasma shield over it to act as the quarantine zone for, of course, Boo, who was, you know, running around Monstropolis. So that's a, an, an example where the artists took it upon themselves to censor their content to be sensitive to, to audiences. What is the role, do you think, of the artist or studios to, to censor with events going on, or should they? Well, it, it all depends on the scenes in question. I mean, how over the board, how over the top for even a horror movie was it? That's what we have to understand and, and find out, because there should only be a relative few number of times where you're actually, as a movie studio, actually go ahead and cut scenes out or step in and say, hey, this is not going to be going on to the big screen. If you're shooting for, let's say, a PG-13 rating, that's one thing. But this is an R-rated horror movie. The only reason I would say, if it's just too over the top, or if it's just something that maybe is in poor taste for something relative to what's going on in real life, to me, there's very few instances where this could happen. Or if you're just trying to elude an X rating, which, as you and I both know, means box office death. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think that the the question of, you know, how far can I go in an R-rated horror film really applies. Those films have to go as far as they can in order to secure their reputation. Because like you said, they're so dependent on that first two-week run. And after that, it's usually does it evolve to cult classic status or does it not? And the thing that helps them get them there is the absurdity and how far they can push that envelope. I mean look no further than human centipede right like not a great film by any stretch no pun intended but it is memorable it has kind of reached cult classic status because it pushed the envelope in such a bizarre and twisted way that you have to say yeah that had never been done before slender man again we're not dealing with you know something so original that we're just like yeah you know we got to give this movie more credit i haven't seen the film so i don't want to talk out of turn i'm sure it's creepy and has its moments and stuff, but I think this is just another run-of-the-mill horror film that has a little bit of inkling that's tied to the real world, but not much else. So in this case, it's like, if you have the leeway to deal with supernatural entities, you may have the leeway to remove any content that does harm to people that have maybe associated with this in the real world. It's just a shame, like I said, that all this is happening because of such terrible incidents took place because or influenced by the urban myth, urban legend of Slender Man in the first place. And those incidents that took place relating to that really started this downfall for this film actually being questioned by many, including myself, for even being made. Yeah, it's only a $10 million production. Maybe, what, throw in another $10, 15000000 million for, I guess, marketing and, and other costs and whatnot. The movie probably will not make its money back worldwide. It looks like it's maybe getting $20 million in the theaters worldwide is probably what their the end goal or the end take will probably end up being. You're banking on that home video, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming type and, market. And I got to tell you, with Apple's digital sales being up a tremendous amount in the last quarter, I mean, more and more people are going to be dependent upon that. So again, we couldn't show this version in the theaters. This is the version that might come out later. I mean, even Deadpool 2, there's big banners all across the Apple TV movies app, you know, get the super duper extra cut. It's taken up more marquee space than I've seen any other title 
take up in the app store, which I think is kind of interesting for them to take that route. And that's where Slender Man is going to have to capitalize and try to see if it's going to make even a small amount of profit is in a future where you can see the unseen version of the movie and in its entirety, if you're really into that type of deal. And it's just, like I said, it's just unfortunate those incidents happen that are based off the urban myth or urban legend of Slender Man. And it just seemed like it was going to be doomed from the start when even the idea of a Slender Man movie came up. So we've talked a lot over the last year about two topics. And now comes the time. This this maybe should be reserved for our New Year's kind of year-in-review show. But I think we're at the stage in the year because we've talked about these two things for over a year now. That maybe we can forecast or have our kind of mid-year picks. Which has had a rougher go in the last little while? Okay, You, you get a choice between two options. DC Films... Or movie pass. Well, I can tell you, as someone who reports quite regularly on the impending, I guess, roller coaster that is movie pass, and right now it's really on a downhill slide, I would probably say by far and away movie pass because DC films can actually make up a lot of ground. If Aquaman becomes a success, DC films with their streaming service, maybe that could be something that's really palpable for them. And you know, DC is just all over the CW. So there's at least something Warner Brothers can still hold its head high on. But when it comes to MoviePass, and word comes recently that via the stock market that the shares are now trading at a low now of a nickel, a nickel a share, losing pretty much all its value. MoviePass reporting that it's having issues repaying it back its loan. Losses are now heavy. Lawsuits have begun now. Lawsuits have begun now. It looks like it's really the beginning of the end for the actual movie pass itself. Although, out of the blue, they financed not only the Gotti film that was horrible as far as what most critics are saying that appeared earlier this year from John Travolta, that they're actually now financing another film with what money, I don't even know. But they're helping to finance a film with Bruce Willis coming up which just totally makes me scratch my head. And then you got the fact, like I said, that their unlimited plan of going to the movies is now gone by the wayside and they've changed it and they modified it right now currently as we speak, although that's subject to change, it's now currently down to three movies a month, which in some markets actually is still a decent value, but then you're limited on number of the movies you see, and that's been a point of contention. And now you have an issue where they're trying to say, okay, well, we're going to get all the movies back that you want to see on the plan. And it's just creating a situation where it's really a problem. And I talked to Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works, and he was just as a MoviePass fan and a MoviePass customer and someone who's brought in a lot of friends as customers, just really upset that he's actually gone through this in the first place because it was a really sweet deal while it lasted. But the business plan itself, as he indicated, was from the get-go was really going to be hard to sustain. Yeah, and I read an article recently uh, that compared a lot of the other subscription services out there. And, you know, one of the ones that doesn't seem so attractive off the surface would appeal to guys like you and myself because of the families that we towed along with us. And that's the Cinemark Movie Club. Now, of course, you got to have Cinemark Theaters or Century Theaters or a rave cinema near you. But, you know, it's $8.99 per month for one movie. But you also get 20% off concessions. 
And you could share it with a friend. So if your friends there buying stuff, you can get 20% off their concessions too. There's no online fees for when you buy tickets. And if you want to add on tickets, and let's say that you know it's December and you're busy or January and there's nothing out, those tickets roll over. You know, remember when rollover minutes on cell phone became like the thing to kind of get? Well, Cinemark has kind of like cracked that. And it's not like as many movies as you can see for a low price, but that's a pretty fair start considering most ticket prices are $12.50 and up anyways. So you're already saving money there, 20% off your popcorn and drinks. You bring the family. I mean, Gerald, I don't know about for you, but when I go out with my fam, we're looking at 50 bucks for fun between the tickets and the concessions. And the concessions make up more than half of that. And if I can save 20%, I think that's a pretty good deal. That part is agreeable with with you on that, but for people, whoa, whoa. Uh, yes, we I know. Return we return with some agreements. We return with some agreements, indeed. But I will say that if the movie individual that just loves to go see the movies, that likes to cut the corners, that doesn't, that realizes the extreme expenditure that is the concessions, where the movie theaters actually make quite a bit of money off of. And you and I both know that when you're paying $6 for a Coke that you can buy for a dollar at McDonald's, we all know this. It becomes the fact that if they do not go to the theaters as far as like, I was giving you an example of Chris Daly from fresh media works. He was more adamant about going to the theaters just to see the movie. And if you're into just that part of it and you're not going to really get involved in the concessions or any of the other expenditures that the movie theaters want you to do, Cinemark may not be the greatest option. And if that's the case, there's really not a great option right now. If movie pass fails because three movies a month for $10, that's not a bad deal. As long as there's a good enough selection of movies to choose from. The problem is they should have done that in the first place. And yeah, maybe they'd now be it feels able... like they're taking it away from people. Exactly. And they'd be a lot more solvent today because of it. They wouldn't have had the extreme meteoric growth that they did in a short period of time, but they would be. But it would have been scale. manageable. It would have yes. been manageable. It would have been understandable. It still would have been like a three for one kind of deal. And it would have been something that, like you said, they could have sustained for longer and worked with people. And I see somebody else either buying Movie Pass out or actually getting into the fray with their own deal that's probably similar to what Movie Pass is doing now, but it could be a, a big case of too little, too late. Well, it's funny that you use that phrase because I wanted to compare these two subjects very specifically for that reason with DC Films and Movie Pass because Wonder Woman is good and maybe Aquaman will be good, but is it too little, too late? And are they going to stop in their tracks and just do their own titular hero films again without worried about worrying about, you know, an expanded universe, and the extra headache that comes with looping that in? I mean, we have two Joker movies in the works now, it seems, and a whole bunch of other Green Lantern Corn. We'll get back to that. But maybe it's too little too late to go so deep into the DC canon because they still haven't got the big guns right. How embarrassing would it be if they nailed a Plastic Man movie but still couldn't figure out how to do a Superman or Batman movie really, really well? Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. One thing has happened that I never really occurred to me, as if it was ever going to an issue. Maybe that's because I live in my insular North American comfy little space and everything is just really great. 
And this news comes out of Germany that Germany has finally lifted the ban, which I didn't know existed, on Nazi symbolism in video games. And you will be able to use swastikas and reportedly anything else related to the Nazi regime in, in video games as long as it's deemed as art or if it's in historical context. Is this something that you considered? And I don't know why I didn't think about Wolfenstein or people in Germany playing Wolfenstein and it being potentially damaging to the culture. But again, going back to some of our other topics that we have, you know, th this is art. Do you censor it because it's maybe, you know, insensitive or is this in this case because it's, you know, the Nazis that like, hey, this happened. We're not going to hide it. And by hiding it and banning it in video games, you're actually doing a disservice. That's a tough question and a tough call on that. I that's would, why they pay me the big bucks. Well, that's why they do. But I have to agree with, you know, it's it's just for the for that country, it's just such a, a mark of shame and, and something they want to put in their past in the rear view mirror as, as best as they can. Being reminded of it in their society is just not, not something that they really want to do. And I respect that immensely that they wanted to go ahead and just try and, and and put that even uh, put that out of mind, even when it comes to the the you know value of art or anything as far as in relation to video games. That being said, something like Wolfenstein comes out, and which obviously clearly is is showing that we're against Nazis, and we want to go ahead and do what we can to prove to you, uh, prove to the world out there, and prove to gamers that you know what what it everything it represents as far as the Nazi whatever is just truly horrible and and disgusting and something like that you, you, i guess you can't make make exceptions if you you know if you were trying to follow policy in the letter to a t but i'm glad to see in certain instances in video games like with wolfenstein that they're going to go ahead and allow this to happen and show them in such a a light that hey the Nazis are are really truly horrible. This unfortunately happened, but we're trying to portray our society in a better light by saying, "Hey, this was something that was really wrong," and and we're make demonstrating the fact that it was truly something horrible. When it comes to the Australian rules board, which has really really been strict over the past what many years now, especially when it concerns blood, there's been a lot of games that have had that have had to alter its uh, formula, its vision, its its whole entire game because uh, you know what the Australian Rules Board has said, We Happy Few was was actually not going to be released in Australia for quite a bit. It was actually banned for a while, but it actually looks like it's going to go ahead and actually be on their platforms. But we talked about, I've talked in the past or shared stories in the past about many games that that have blood in their games that have had to change it to green or some off color that, that really takes you out of the experience of playing the game. And because of the strict rules, the Australian rules board ha has gone down with in the past. It's, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't think any other uh, segment of history or regime or community, if you want to use that word for the Nazis has been attacked much like the Nazis have been attacked. And I'm surprised there hasn't been like a Me Too Nazi campaign started in the in the world of social media that we have to, to end this stuff earlier, to ban the Indiana Jones films, as they're often the targets of, of global exploits there. Uh, it was just, I thought this was really interesting, and it tied into some of the other stuff that we've been talking about lately. And uh, it'll be interesting to see 
how many things come down to like hearings about is this art or is this not art? Is this historically accurate or is this not historically accurate? And I mean, because then you're going to start getting into stuff. What is art and what is not art? And that's a that's a much broader question. I don't think that has ever been fairly answered. I don't think it's ever been correctly answered by any government entity as far as what is correct to censor and what is not correct to censor. Because when it comes down to it, there have been some things that have been censored by our government and our ratings board that I've had to question from time to time myself about, okay, was that the right call to make? I don't think it was. I think they should have let that go or this go. I think they should have still give it whatever rating if they would have let that in. But like I said, it, it all comes down to each and every country and what they perceive to be good taste and good art as opposed to go, what goes overboard on that. I still have a disagreement with the great people of Australia when it comes to ratings boards sometimes, and they make decisions that keep me scratching my head. I know there was the issue, like I said, with a game that's just out now called We Happy Few when it came to the appearance of drugs and the illusions and things of that nature that was caused for an initial ban by the Australian Rules Board. But yeah, it's just it's kind of weird how they do it as far as each country and what they censor and what they don't. Speaking of what is in good taste and what is not in good taste and what gets censored and what you can come back from, despite a private meeting with Alan Horn, James Gunn is not coming back to helm Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Of course, there's been a lot of uh, outcry from different uh, stars in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise and other people on social media. We had talked about this once or twice. What are your initial thoughts on this? And Did you actually read the tweets that he sent out 10 years ago? You know what? I did in a way because, yes, I did see the tweets when they were reposted onto articles that I was informing the consumer and the mass audiences about. I was investigating and looking at those tweets from those articles. But, no, I did not go back into James Gunn's history and actually look at all the tweets involved because you only, it only takes a couple from, like I said, those those articles to understand why Disney was so upset with them. It goes back to the question, should they have given him a second chance? I think it was far enough in the rearview mirror that, you know, like, like we had talked about with the pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers, I think with there, there should have been an allowance there and, and they should have brought him back into the fold after making sure that he's gone through the correct probationary period or something of that nature where he would get instructions on trying not to repeat these same mistakes from the past. But that's just me. And I know a lot of other people feel that, that he should have been brought back as well. The stars of the movie themselves have had quite an issue with him not coming back. Dave Bautista says if they're not even going to use a script from James Gunn, then, hey, don't call him. He doesn't want to be a part of it. It looks like right now things are really in a state of flux with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And it just, like I said, it all comes down to the initial mistakes and the initial things said by James Gunn in those tweets. It really just truly in poor taste. And unfortunately, you, you pay for it when you consistently do those things and, and say those things, no matter how long of a buffer it is. We've seen with Roseanne Barr and her comments, which were more recent, that a lot of people out there in the world are not forgiving. And Disney's got an image to uphold, although you and I talked about the John Lasser issue to what point is that image being held up and i just think right now when it comes down to it they should have given another chance but unfortunately that's not going to be the case yeah you know i i started looking into it after we talked last time about this topic and, and i read the tweets and i think they're pretty deplorable and 
Well, they're not only pretty deplorable, they are deplorable. There, There is no excuse for them at all. They're, they're quite horrific and they're really detrimental. And I don't say that just as a father of two. I say that as like a human being. I don't know that I want to see art from somebody like this that's thought about that in that way and until there's some sort of evidence that they have turned the corner and they have changed. Like, you know, a second chance, sure, but under what grounds do you get that second chance? How do I know that you still don't think this way and just don't post about it? Like what kind of rehab has taken place or what kind of steps are you going to take to move forward to make sure that this doesn't happen? And that's something, that's something I wanted to reiterate that that would have had to have taken place before he would have been brought back. If something yeah. like that has been taken, you just can't have him come back with open arms and say, hey, everything's all right, hunky-dory, kumbaya. There has to be, like you said, some rehabilitation in place before something like that would have happened. I was hoping he would get a second chance after some type of rehabilitation and proof that he was actually just a better person at this point in time, like he claims to be. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. Disenchantment is the new Matt Groening series coming out on Netflix. Of course, Matt Groening is the creator of The Simpsons and, of course, other shows like The Critic and Futurama. And the reviews have started to hit. It comes out, I believe, the 21st of August or thereabouts or the 17th, maybe, depending on your region. And people are starting to review it. They have a lot of knocks against it. Does it really matter, though, at this time? First of all, it's on Netflix, so you can binge the whole thing. I think it's 10 episodes for season one. Everybody slammed Futurama when it first came out because it wasn't The Simpsons. A lot of people slammed The Critic, and, you know, there's it still had a massive fan base as well. At what point does this guy really get to to say, hey, I want to do this kind of show and I don't care what you say without everybody really have to come in so heavy handed on the guy? Exactly. Well, it all happens because you've got The Simpsons that's still running at, you know, what, 30 years now close to it. So that's that in itself is a problem is when you have that sitting right there that's that's out there that has been such a long running hit for so many years it's really hard when you go ahead and try to do something else that's creative that a lot of people are just not going to go ahead and put that under a microscope or a magnifying glass. I will say that I enjoyed immensely The Critic. I really thought that was a underserved show, and I really thought it deserved a new life or some kind of life extended beyond what ABC was willing to give it. When it comes to Futurama, that was brought back I know it's currently running here in America on the sci-fi channel. And I understand that they're really portraying and really putting it in as far as the sci-fi channel is concerned. But I want to ask you, when it comes to the critic and when it comes to Futurama, 
Do you think both of them were unfairly cut before they were due? Do you really think that they they had? Do you really think they could have found an, a larger audience of what they did? Because we understand about Futurama's cult status, and like I said, it's now playing on Sci-Fi. But when they tried to revive it, it just never seems to get going to the extent of, let's say, um, Family Guy, which found a second life and a new audience because of it. I think, you know, should the critic have come out in today's age where there is an adult swim, there are completely dedicated channels to animation and cartoons, I think it would have done better. Or even it being on a Netflix or an Amazon Prime, I think it would have done fine. Futurama, I think it took it going into the DVD releases for people to kind of really get hooked on it and binged on it. They really needed to see what it was in something longer than a short 22-minute burst once a week. And when it did come out, it was, you know, it, it was jumping around the schedule a lot. So it came back because it found an audience when the DVDs came out. And then, like you said, it still hadn't got to the point where it could really find a home. And so they were doing basically short bursts of uh, of the reboot. They would do like, you know, the head of a thousand beasts or, or whatever it is. And the Futurama fans are killing me right now. And they're also doing an audio podcast. The group is getting together, I believe, to do some sort of audio podcast or audio recording. Is that correct? Yeah, and uh, Billy West has a great podcast going on as well, who's, of course, the voice of Fry. So Futurama just took time to find its course, but it, it required binge-watching for people to really get it, and I think The Critic would be the same thing. I think now is the time and the the means that we have of all, all our streaming and other outlets for something like The Critic to come back and, and find its its own home, own home. I think Disenchantment's going to be the same thing. Bob's Burgers struggled out of the gate as well, but when it hit Netflix, people were able to binge it and really get comfortable with the characters and understand what was going on. So it wasn't just a one-off 22-minute kind of quirky, messed up a nuclear family that owned a restaurant. There, There's a lot of heart to these shows, but it takes a while to get used to it. And uh, we live in a world where we want instant gratification and we want everything now, which can work in favor of these, but not on the traditional conservative broadcast television network strategy. So you, I think, I think this like enchantment a, will go well. It all comes down to what kind of audience watches it, how fervent, how behind the show are they. You see with Futurama, while I don't think it has enough of an audience to maybe sustain a new life or as far as a continued new life, it thinks it has a a solid enough base that they will just continue watching, continue supporting what's out there. The problem is there are very few shows that can get that new life, like Family Guy, which was shown on TBS in reruns after it was canceled initially by Fox, but there was so much demand, so much support for for a revival of it that it actually found a new life again, and now we see it's it's now a foundational piece for Fox. Same thing, I think, with American Dad, where actually it was initially, like you said, with Bob's Burgers, they were both just not well thought of at first, but now they found a home and found really just a trend viewing for it. Is It's just weird how this works out with animated features, and it seems to really come into play a lot with, with animated features or adult cartoon entertainment-type formats, you know, like on, on Nick or Adult Swim or anything of that nature. It just seems to... The really flow as far as uh, it really seems to come to play when it comes to those cult hits and animated features for adults. Yeah, and I think Disenchantment being on Netflix is going to give it the best shot instead of doing like a broadcast premiere on a Fox or on another network. And whether the season one is everything that you want it to be or not, there'll be more and more episodes because they want to keep working with Matt Groening as a creator. Why wouldn't they? And if they've got to support this one show in order to get more down the road or something different, 
Netflix has the money to spend on it. He's premier talent. He's obviously proven himself and has the ability to create these long-lasting universes between Futurama and The Simpsons that, hey, why not take a couple more chances on stuff that's going on out there? And I really like the idea of Matt Groening playing in a fantasy, fairy tale, medieval kind of world and to see what he can do with it. And, and what well, just comes down to this, he understands himself better than anybody that anything he creates down the line is always going to be compared to The Simpsons. I don't think he even worries about it. I don't think he even cares if he does repeat something as successful as The Simpsons, because I don't think there is going to be something as successful as The Simpsons for a long, long time. But as long as he's happy with what he's doing, he's earned the right, like you said, to go ahead and put out shows that really are of his desire and his quality. And usually a lot of fans will follow. And it looks like Netflix is willing to pay for it as well. So more news about uh, the media giants out there and their expansion. We've talked previously how Amazon and uh, Google and other companies are looking to get into the healthcare industry. Well, this seems something that's a little bit more reasonable and probably not unexpected. And that's Amazon has been rumored to buy landmark cinemas. Now, the U.S. government has previously barred film studios from the theater industry, but they have said earlier this month that it was considering to terminate that 70 or so year policy uh, that halted the vertical integrations between theaters and and studios, the main exhibition arm. Uh, It was called the Paramount Decree, uh, and it would basically was put in place so that smaller films had a chance to get the wider distribution. Because if you're a studio and you own all the theaters, only your films will get out there. So that's why they broke that up. So I thought that was interesting that Amazon might get into the theatrical experience so that they would have uh, their, you know, OTT app, of course, Amazon Video Prime. They'd have uh, Landmark Cinemas, which is a small indie chain right now, which kind of fits very well with the stuff that they're producing on Amazon Studios. And they've also been uh, interested in linked to buying the regional Fox sports stations that Disney must sell off as part of their acquisition merger. So Amazon could really be doing TV and theater on top of their digital streaming service. Any thoughts on all of that? Well, to me, it also uh, ties into the fact that they're really getting into the movie business. Uh, they've had they've dipped their toe in the water a couple of times already, working with Sony and actually getting advanced shows, advanced previews for a couple big hit movies for for Sony in Jumanji and also Hotel Transylvania Three. Those two films were actually supported for Amazon Prime members in advanced screenings well before the actual movie releases for both those films. So them dipping their toes into the water in regards to dealing with, with the movie industry, we're seeing what they're dishing out in regards to the, what, $500 million for the Lord of the Rings. So they're dipping their toes in the water. They've got all the, they're flux with cash. They're approaching what Apple is when it comes to a being worth over a trillion dollars. They will be the next one in line to do so. So I clearly see a day where Amazon is truly in every aspect, in every walk of life when it comes to what we're seeing as far as from a media standpoint. Not only we're we buying from Amazon, we'll be watching a lot of stuff from Amazon. We'll be turning on the TV to a lot of stuff from Amazon. We'll be going and streaming and actually end up going to the movies and seeing a lot of Amazon related products as well. Yeah, I mean, because just having that theater chain could really do a lot for their advertising. And imagine you had different uh, prime deals offered in theaters only to help get you to the theater or buy movie tickets at Landmark. Maybe the name stays, maybe it doesn't. Save money or, or free shipping on the next product that you own if you're not a prime user or get a free prime trial. 
or, yeah. or do something like a DVD or a Blu-ray de- release. You go see it in the theaters, but you get uh, a freebie or a free deal or, or a significant discount when it comes to Blu-ray. Or they have the ability to really do that super edition package, right? Where a lot of people are offering get the the home version when you buy the the theater ones, and they wouldn't even have to produce discs at this point because they could just offer it to you through Amazon Video Prime uh, or Prime Video there, depending on on how you want to kind of set up that operation. Just redeem your thing, and when when it's released, it's boom, added to your library instantly. And I see this clearly because of the fact that they purchased the Whole Foods uh, grocery store chain here recently, and they've slowly been integrating Prime deals, deals specific for Prime customers into the actual whole daily context that is Whole Foods. And I see that if they went into the theater business, something of a similar business model could definitely be happening. We could actually see bookstores coming back, which is, of course, where Amazon got their start as a bookstore. Imagine that bookstores come back because of Amazon, who is, of course, you know, uh, rumored to have closed so many different uh, bookstores around the company, Borders and Chapters up here in Canada. And Coles is obviously still around, but not too much. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Last thing I want to talk about on today's episode is The Power of Grayskull has been released to Kickstarter backers. Gerald, I know you're a backer and I know you've seen the film already. What are your initial thoughts on Power of Grayskull for people that are eager about it? What do you want to say about it for everybody to know? I will say this. I am going to see it again because it's been about two, almost two and a half months since I've actually seen the film. I am going to sit down and and actually see it again before I type out a review. But to me, I thought it was a very well done piece of art. I think as far as having your hands in the kitty on this one, one of your best films. And as far as what I've seen from it, I thought it was a great portrayal of what the He-Man mystique is all about. There are just a couple little quips here or there that that I would have liked a little bit more information on. But as a whole, as a, as a nice, tight 90-minute package from beginning to end with some of the key players in the industry that were actually a part of the He-Man facade, the, the different changes in He-Man himself, the series, but also mainly the toy line, which is what it should focus on the most because of the fact that Yes, while we all know about the TV series and how great it was to be a part of watching it when you were a kid and whatnot, it was the actual incentive of the toy line itself that created this whole mystique and understanding that, also adding in obviously She-Ra and her part in it as well, seeing how She-Ra is coming back to actual screens in the near future. And just overall, I just found it an enjoyable experience. I really thought it was a a well-made well-constructed documentary per se and as something that i'd like to see again and and if i wanted to actually anybody to understand more about the he-man universe as a whole and understand why it was so popular i would just point them into the direction of this film and see where it goes from there 
Well, some very interesting comments from you. I will let people make up their minds for themselves on uh, I thought it was a great flick, man. I thought it was a great flick. My compliments to you and and your co-director and everyone involved in the actual process itself. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, of course. I usually don't really comment too much on what I think about the films and stuff when they're done because they're kind of out of our hands. We just hope that people can enjoy them once they get access to them. So... But if you're a Kickstarter backer, those discs should be on the way. And of course, we sent all our Kickstarter backers digital versions so that they could get them ahead of time and they could watch it so they wouldn't have to wait for their shipping delays. And Because we didn't want some guy in Germany to be the last person to see it when somebody in North America could have got their disc shipped sooner. So we gave digital codes to everybody, even though we said uh, that was never part of the Kickstarter plan. We wanted to make sure everybody could kind of see it at the same time. So... We did that, and uh, if you if you haven't seen it, your disc is in the mail, and there you go. So thanks for again for everybody who backed that campaign, and it's nice to finally kind of clear it off the shelf and uh, move on and move forward. If you have any questions for Rob that I can bring up to him at any point in time, please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, Game Source. And Rob McCallum Films on Facebook and at Rob McZob on Twitter as well. Well, Rob, as always, it's been great talking to you, my friend. I know you're a busy man with all that stuff you've got going on, but it's just great to have you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire and, of course, right here on the Pop Culture 